hear your Antoine de Combes for the next three weeks or so. Bonjour, Edouard. Comment ça va? J'espère que vous passez une très bonne semaine. Nein. Wo ist der Krankenhaus? Un helado de fresas, por favor. La segunda a la izquierda. Very good. Uh, that's it, right? We've just exhausted all the European languages. We'll have to learn some more before next week's. Ed, I'm super excited. There's a major international football tournament starting, well, today as you all listen to this. I love it. Euro 2012. Good, gotta love it. And it's all the better for the fact that uh, there's no hype surrounding England, which is a joy, a real joy. The next best thing to England not qualifying is there being zero expectations about England winning the thing. So we can just enjoy the football, right? But before we talk about pretend made up international football, let's talk about actual real football. Because in the two and a bit weeks we've been off the air, or three weeks or so that we've been off the air, some stuff has happened. Stuff has happened. Much stuff. We we waited and we waited and we waited. And God, also known as Eden Hazard, proclaimed. What did he proclaim, Paul? He proclaimed, moi je vais aller au Chelsea parce que j'aime bien l'argent. Yes, lots of argent. Yeah, he he went to Chelsea for the money. Perfectly reasonable decision for a young sportsman. I thought it was the, the outstanding project. Oh, oh yeah, might be that, might be that. He said, I'm going to join the European champions on Twitter, which some wags replied, European champions of what year? It just didn't seem like United material from the way he handled himself in this transfer saga, although, of course, I would have been delighted had he chosen United. I'd pretty much written off that there was any possibility of that happening, but then it kept sort of feeling like, actually, wait a minute, this talk isn't going away. Yeah, I, I, uh, I always thought that was negotiation tactics. As I've been on record for many months, I was... Dead on certain that uh, Hazard was not coming to United. So uh, it didn't surprise me in the slightest uh, at all. And, and although some French journalists were saying that money was not his primary motivation, I, I thought they were wrong. And those people who did say that were definitely proven wrong. We can be sensible about this kind of thing. What, what are the two biggest things footballers generally look for? It's it's money and the potential for success or winning things or, or whatever it is. And probably money way out in front there. And, and Chelsea were always going to offer more money and so was City, although City apparently bolts at the £6 million demanded by Azard's agency. I should say agency because they're a big uh, international conglomerate. And so Chelsea were the realistic destination after that. Plus they can offer silverware. FA Cup winners, European champions and United didn't win it last season that's got to play some factor in the thinking too yeah but who cares because we've got Kakakakakakagawa Kakakakagawa hurrah he's come Shinji's on his way it's it's an exciting signing that is isn't it it is an exciting signing yeah I have to say I've got pretty frustrated with some of the response to it I mean I've seen, I've seen him enough times now that I feel pretty confident about what kind of player he is and then his strengths and weaknesses and uh, and so I, I did a you know piece on the, the blog and then a few posts on Twitter and stuff like that. And even the mere hint of, you know, some kind of, not not even criticism, but, uh, you know, adding a condition or two to the praise was roundly criticised by uh, my Twitter followers. It was a bit odd. But anyway, anyway, you know, the summary is he's a, he's a number 10. You know, this is this is what he is. He's, it's, I would argue, the first time Ferguson's ever signed this kind of player, which is a break from the norm, and that's why it's pretty exciting. I, I think he's he's a, he's a young player, even though he's, you know, 23. He's, he's pretty inexperienced.
experienced really because he spent most of his formative years in Japanese League 2 which is no kind of standard of football at all and and he's had two seasons in Germany and really only one and a half because he broke a metatarsal the season before the one just finished and, and only really played half of that season so he's made a big impression he scores goals great range of passing great turn of speed uh, you, I think United fans will really enjoy watching him but he is a bit wasteful with that passing uh, sometimes he's over ambitious and and uh, it'd be interesting to see how United deal with that I've never seen him really play well when he's not playing in the hole so he plays for for Japan wide left in the front three quite often and I, I have to say the few times including the game I watched the other day versus Oman this is how obsessive I am about football you know watching Japan versus Oman on a Japanese TV channel pretty weird but he played wide left and he wasn't very good and and I think you know there, there will be some of those weaknesses there plus he was subbed in three quarters of the games he played for Borussia Dortmund or two thirds or so uh, which suggests a bit of a problem with, with stamina as well so we'll see how he develops I don't think this is a sure thing uh, you know how people say old oh, footballers always look good on YouTube uh, and obviously they do but but there's two YouTube videos that made me extremely glad we've signed Shinji Kagawa and they've got they're not those fantastic uh, compilations to drum and bass and Euro techno of him doing flicks and tricks there's the one the Kagawa where a Borussia fan has made a cartoon all about Shinji Kagawa and how awesome he is uh, which I think is a good sign if the fans of the team you play for do stuff like that and the other is one which uh, at Vishkosh uh, linked to where there's just like a mum behind the camera going Shinji and a baby because Kakawa and like <laughs> if you don't feel bad about United having signed him for Borussia after seeing that there's something wrong with you but yeah obviously a little bit of a cult status at Borussia and like just just the kind of player he is is an exciting signing it's, yeah yeah he's dynamic he's very dynamic I mean it's going to it's going to be a change in United's tactics and it probably means that Rooney's going to play up top and and Kagawa will play sort of in the hole and maybe Rooney will rotate through those positions because uh, I would have thought Ferguson will be quite careful with the amount of games that Kagawa plays in his first season in England uh, for sure in fact I, I, I'd be surprised if he plays more than 35 40 games in all competitions something like that and, and what that means for Danny Welbeck and Chicharito is interesting as well I mean you can kind of think about it as a uh, more of a replacement for Berbatov in squad terms obviously not positionally because um, it, it might be that United don't sign a striker or if they, if they do it might be a young striker rather than you know a marquee striker I don't think anyone thinks that's going to happen and, and there'll be some rotation there so but Danny Welbeck it's just come off his finest ever campaign he might find himself out of the side I don't know though because I, I think Matt at, at Big Red M are tweeting that actually Rooney up front and the three behind him Nani Young and Kagawa behind him is a pretty excellent plan B and your plan A is a kind of 4-4-2 with Valencia on the right and you know someone on the left and then, then you get to play the two forwards and against the smaller sides that's what we'll do so I, I think there'll, there'll still be plenty of games for all the players won't there well, Kagawa's not going to play in a two in central midfield well, I'll tell you that now he's it's just not that kind of player yeah I mean he'll be he won't be in the side basically that's what that's yeah that's what I'm saying or or he'll play on the left and cut in and be less effective yeah well that, that's the worry isn't it Fergie will do a Fergie and and uh, tinker the life out of him and he'll end up playing I mean remember remember Jisung Park and I hate to make that comparison because people start thinking I'm talking about shirt sales or something like that but but Jisung Park was that kind of player at PSV he was a utility forward who'd often play sort of in the hole and and then he became something completely different at United and and you kind of hope that Fergie doesn't you know completely Fergie the creativeness out of Kagawa over the next few years but you don't know how it's there's no guarantee that Fergie will 
be working with Kagawa over the next no, few years. No. That's the the other thing because it could be not not so much time, you know. And it's more of that age profile stuff as well. I mean, obviously it's a Glazonomic signing because there's definitely potential for his value to increase. And and it's a good deal because he's into the last year of his contract. Although you know, it's it's still probably going to end up nearer the 18 million pound mark. What normally happens with these? I mean, it's structured at 12 million initial and then another six million for bonuses. Normally United pays that up early, uh, so they've done that with quite a lot of deals. Did it with Rooney, did it with Ferdinand, opposite way around with Beckham and a few others as well. So they'll probably pay up early and end up in the £17 million range or so. Fergie's talked about wanting to leave an age profile at the club that's appropriate and right, he yeah. fits into that signing he could be part of and we talked we did a joint podcast with the lads from Seven Cantonars which you can find at sevencantonars.com and we talked a lot about United's tick attacker from last August and Kagawa looks definitely like a signing that indicates that that's the way we're looking to play because he's all about the flicks and short passes and all that stuff and they you know oh certainly yeah he's not he's not a man who's going to be dictating play from the centre of the park though so we're still gonna we're gonna sign him before the end of the summer right ed yeah this is a euro uh, preview but it was good to get kagawa out of the way that, that's the, that's it for united stuff well ish i mean it is a united podcast so we've got to come back to some united interest and quite a lot of united interest actually at the euros there's, there's six players and seven x players so uh, even if you're not uh, an england fan or you're not based in england or either or both uh, then there's there's going to be plenty of united related uh, interests throughout the tournament Absolutely so. Let's get on with it. And what better place to start than that sparkling excitement, the real feast of football that is Group A of the 2012 European Championships, starting with the Czech Republic, coached by Michael Bilek, a man that 96% of Czech fans apparently want to see sacked after a very shaky qualifying campaign. They limped to second place in their group, finishing two points ahead of Scotland. Mm, That's not a good sign. Then managed to trounce Montenegro in the playoff for their spot in the tournament that their left back who takes the penalties was top scorer with four goals points out that their their key problem which is they don't score enough managing just 12 in eight games in qualifying Czech fans can however rest easy because ladies and gentlemen Euros championship legend Milan Barosh is on that plane uh, if that Liverpool ex-Liverpool connection wasn't enough for you to not want to support the Czech Republic Vladimir Smitsa is their team manager whatever whatever a team manager is doesn't the team manager isn't that just the bloke that looks after the equipment yeah yeah he, he's the bloke that makes sure they get on the right bus at the right time and they've, they've got a hotel and you know the, the hookers are arriving uh, at the appropriate hour and all of that kind of stuff yeah they they did get in trouble for uh, taking all their clothes off to celebrate victory over Montenegro in the playoffs so they Very are nice. clearly clearly a bit leery I mean it, we'll, we'll come on to the group of death later but this is group A the group of boredom isn't it it's the worst group in it by miles this is clearly the group of being absolutely bored to death that's what it is and um, without wishing to be too best league in the world about this their best players it's probably quite hard to look beyond Petr Cech and Thomas Rosicki Rosicki is often played out of position at Arsenal but has 86 caps for the Czech Republic a special shout out as well to the fact that they have a player called Theodore Gabri Selassie um, which is awesome what a what a cool name to have well he can run marathons if even if they don't win the championship i'm gonna assume that his stamina stat on football manager is really high uh, maybe it's wrong to assume that but i will so milan barash not gonna win it for the czech republic then perhaps not petr czech's an excellent keeper but they just don't score any goals and like if you look down the list of like caps and goals scored barely anyone's got hardly any goals ever and they've all got loads and loads of caps so you know it's it's gonna be tricky but was Rizik, plays in the hole for the czech republic and um, much more effective there than he is out wide for Arsenal. He's kind of their main man. 
Right, yeah, um, and that makes a big difference. And I get the impression the Czech Republic are aside on the on the slide a little bit. I mean, this is a, they've been brought up on some outstanding players over the last twenty years, haven't they? And and this is a, this is a team without all those stars. Although although the Czech Republic has created the greatest merc in the history of football championships, Karol Poborski, uh, completely <laughs> murking Ferguson into buying him after Euro '96. What a merc! You know, I watched that goal again the other day. Absolutely stunning. I would not say, however, that's the defining moment of the the Czech history with the European Championships. Czechoslovakia, as they were, then won the tournament in 1976. And in that 1996 tournament, the Czech Republic made it to the final, losing out to a heartbreaking golden goal from the Germans and setting themselves up as perennial, slightly under-informed English football fans, dark horses. Uh, Basically, anyone, you know, you get that all the time. I reckon the Czech Republic will be good, you know, because in 1996, no one expected them to be good, and they were. And, That's right. Yeah. Uh, however, Jonathan Wilson has picked them as dark horses for this very tournament. Uh, he's the least under-informed man in the world, so you know they must, he must know something we don't. Yeah, of course they they are the team of the famous chipped penalty goal, aren't they? I don't remember the famous chipped penalty goal. 1976, the shootout versus Germany, and he chipped it down the middle and scored. Wow, this, and scored this nice. and scored. They're always good to have in tournaments because of the high chance of a mullet. A very important factor in the European Championships is how many mullets you can spot uh, throughout the tournament. Because when the football inevitably gets a little bit dull, mullets help everyone's uh, enjoyment of these things. Also worth pointing out that their number seven, Thomas Nessid, wears the entirely unacceptable number 89 on his back for his club CSKA in Moscow. Obviously, as you do. 89? That's just not acceptable as a squad number. IQ? I'm a, I- <laughs> I guess it's the year of his birth and seven wasn't available, but still, not not acceptable. Another number that would be unacceptable to have on your back would be 94. Czech Republic are 94 to 1 to win the tournament on Betfair. Good odds. Unlikely to pay out, to be fair. Yeah, I don't see the potential. I mean, the one thing is, they've, they're in a terrible group. And really, anything could happen in this group, as we'll come on to see. There's there's not a lot of goals in the whole group, basically. So, you know, once you've squeezed through the group stages, you only then have to win three games to win the tournament. Because because it goes straight from the groups to the quarterfinals, you get things like what happened in 2004, uh, when fellow Group A members Greece won the tournament. This time they're coached by Portuguese Fernando Santos. Greece have emerged under beaten from their group a huge percentage of their squad plays its football in Greece um, which is a, f- a factor in a, in a few different teams actually there's some very cosmopolitan teams Sweden people from all around the world I think only a couple of people that play in Sweden but the Greek team and the Ukrainian team uh, in particular the Polish team a lot of players that play at home their defining European Championships moment obviously was in 2004 when they managed to be the first team in history to win by literally boring their opponents to death uh, but not to death but in Quite literally. Into a coma uh, and then nicking the win. Uh, That their star players include Manchester City Hall of Famer and profound Freddie Mercury in 1979 lookalike Georgios Samaros may explain why the Greeks only managed 14 goals in qualifying. They only conceded five, although I'm sure... Are you sure that's in qualifying? Is that not 14 goals since 2004? (laughs) They sure didn't score 14 goals in that 2004 tournament, did they? They certainly didn't, but they scored the one that mattered. And, uh, and and Ronaldo's tears flowed afterwards. Uh, they only conceded five, although I'm assured by sources that know quite a bit more about this sort of thing, that they're not quite as boring as they were under Otto Rehagel, who has left the Greek national team and has apparently been interned in The Hague for causing so much pain to so many people. His finest hour as Greek coach was in their final group game of the 2010 World Cup when he shut up shop against Argentina at 1-0 down. Uh, 
town when they desperately needed a win. He later described the move as a cross between football and art and asked that it be considered as a performance piece metaphor for the collapse of the Greek economy. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Otto Rehagel is the most awful manager. He's not their manager anymore, we should say. Um, and they, But they still set up pretty defensively. But I guess, I guess that's in part just because of the resources that are available to them. They don't have that quite slavish devotion to defensive football that they had under Ray Hargill. It was unbelievable, that 2004 win. You just kept thinking, every every round you'd think, well, they, they can't do another one. And then when they came against... That Portugal side was ridiculously good as well. It, it was very good, and it was uh, it was the closest Ronaldo's come to, to having any genuine success with the n- national team. I, I have to say, I mean, um, I can't see Greece going very far in, in this tournament. I mean, they did well to qualify. They've got an excellent young defender called Kyriakos Papadopoulos, so of course he'd be called Papadopoulos for all of us. You know, like to stereotype in these things. You're just basing that on the bloke that owned the laundrette in the extenders. That's you? right. Yeah, he plays for Schalke, and and he's probably you know one of my players to look out for. I think yeah, he he's probably due a very good tournament, young defender, and probably on to bigger and better things in the future. Absolutely. Their highest scoring player is uh, Theophanis Gekas, uh, who perhaps unsurprisingly has three times as many goals as Georgi Samaros uh, in uh, very slightly more appearances, and they're still captained by thirty. Five-year-old Georgios Karagounis, who's their most capped player, 115 appearances. For the... How did you say that again? Uh, it's Georgios Karagounis. What, what was that? That's uh, Georgios Karagounis. I think that's about right. Awesome. Sounds right to me. 115 appearances for the Greek national side. Uncertain how many of those were spent actually asleep because of the Otto Rehagel factor, uh, but we're not sure about that. They are 109 to one to win. The Very tournament. specific. Yeah, and that's uh, in a tournament with this few teams in it. That's kind of impressive. But it'd be interesting to know what they were in 2004. Cause, um, Probably about the same, yeah. I mean, aside from Denmark in 92, it got to be the, the biggest long shot ever to have won a tournament. Well, it's those two, isn't it? I mean, that's the, the interesting thing about the Euros, because as, as, it's that shorter format. We have, in, in our kind of lifetime's memory, got these two absolutely kind of freak results uh, in an international tournament, which you wouldn't necessarily expect. I mean, I'm not well right. informed. Not well informed about um, the other federation tournaments and their history and, and outsiders winning them, but I, I definitely think Denmark in '92, which I'm sure we'll come on to talk about, and Greece in 2004, it was just it was just unbelievable, and they basically won by being difficult to break down and well organised, and you know the model for Roy Hodgson, isn't it? Well, it, yeah, we'll come on to England, but yeah, there's there's absolutely the way that England uh, are going to play in the tournament, and probably the only way they've got of uh, of progressing to any kind of you know, acceptable distance. Greece are by no means dark horses for the tournament, but they are dark horses in the mullet race. Yeah, I reckon you could you could get a Greek mullet from time to time. They are nailed on for some top quality ponytails that you can be assured of. Uh, talking of teams that might have a mullet or two amongst them, the Russians, uh, coached by honorary citizen of St. Petersburg and Rangers Hall of Famer Dick Advocar, Russia breezed through their qualifying group, which was mostly made up of places they used to run, uh, and Andorra and Ireland. Seven of the squad played. Have they never invaded Ireland? <laughs> Apparently not. Done. I don't know. I, I reckon Ireland's been pretty left-leaning at certain points in its history, though. So uh, maybe a few a few comrades kicking about. Seven of the squad play for Advocar's old teams and it's St. Petersburg, drawing parallels with Hodgson and Liverpool. Although that's hugely unfair to Russia, Dick Advocar and Zenit P- St. Petersburg. Ouch. <laughs> United fans will remember keeper Igor Akinfiev being thoroughly in the mix during the replacement for Van der Sar discussion. Yep. Yep. Arsenal and casual misogyny Hall of Famer Andre Arshavin has returned to 
to Zenit and may reignite his undoubted talent, which was so rarely shown during his time at the Emirates. Spurs Hall of Famer Roman Pavlyuchenko is the most prolific member of the squad with an impressive 20 goals in 47 games in a team which, again, doesn't score the most. Group A is going to be really boring. Although we, we do should point out you should look out for Alan Zagoyev. Yeah, absolutely. He's an excellent young player as well. And I'm surprised that he hasn't moved out uh, from Russia yet. But I, I suppose that's because of the uh, well-paid nature of that league at the moment. Yeah, it's a high standard of football as well, isn't it? You know, Russia is pretty, it's pretty good standard of football, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So between that being very well paid and also like it's a big cultural leap, actually, to leave Russia, much more so than if you're going from Spain to Italy or, you know, France to Germany or whatever, where there is there are significant cultural shifts but once you start to move into and out of Russia it's a there is a, there is a kind of profoundly different cultural impetus around I right think. it's like moving to a foreign country isn't it <laughs> Yes, exactly. As the Soviet Union, Russia had an excellent record in the European Championships, winning the inaugural championships in 1960 and making up the runners-up spot three times, including their loss to that glorious Dutch team in the final of 1988. Still the greatest goal ever scored, isn't it? Marco van Basten. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I don't know. I'm going to make it. Yeah, no, obviously that's the best European Championship goal ever, but we'll talk about one of my other favourites a bit later on in the show. They're 21-1 for the tournament, so they're, they're by far the strongest squad in Group A on paper and with the bookies and you know none of the other teams are even close to that 21 to 1 is it makes them I think 5th or 6th favourites for the tournament yeah that's that's right I mean they're they're a good side traditionally of course they haven't done that well in tournaments over the piece in in the modern generation I mean had had a good one last time out didn't they when Andre Arshavin had such a good tournament after coming back from that ban be interesting to see I mean Africa's obviously an excellent manager and he normally gets teams playing a very attacking brand of football and that's what generally Russia are doing and they've got a lot of very good attacking players will they translate it into the tournament you, you can't not see them getting out of the group and then then it really depends on you know knockout football from there yeah and you know they, they've got a lot of Michael Cox was saying on um, Football Weekly a lot of team connections there players that play together a lot which does make a big difference I think in, in sort of key positions on the pitch and Avocar managed Zenit for a long time a lot of Zenit players in the squad so you know there's, there's relationships and potential there uh, also a very exciting prospect for mullet watch a Russian team with no mullets is no kind of Russian team if the Russians haven't got a mullet I'm, I'm, I'm I think there might not be one in sight but surely surely there'll be one I'm sure I'm sure there'll be several what about on the Poland side though they, they, they've got to be the stinkers of the tournament surely Poland well talking of mullet watch uh, group A is also home to the co-hosts Poland coached by Francis X Muda a man whose playing career took him to the Los Angeles Aztecs the Hartford Bicentennials the San Jose Earth Quakes and the even more stupidly named Oakland Stompers. Any of those teams even exist anymore? It seems unlikely. Either the San Jose Earthquakes maybe? Is that, are they an MLS side? I feel like there's an MLS side named after an earthquake, which seems weird because what do you do when there's a terrible disaster in the world somewhere and there's an earthquake and then you've got a game the next day and you've got the whole stadium going, earthquakes, earthquakes. It's it's definitely wrong that I'm biased against Poland because their manager used to manage Lech Poznan and... Poznan will always be associated with City winning the league this season but still that's just the way it is I, I think it's perfectly fair that's, it's not irrational as a hatred it's perfectly rational I see the line and with no need to qualify how well their team performs under the pressure of the home crowds is a real uncertainty but they boast everyone's dark horse pick for top scorer Dortmund's Robert Lewandowski you just hear that over and over again people suggesting that he might be the top scorer although it seems re- 
remarkably unlikely to me just because I don't see how Poland are going to create a lot against a bunch of well-organised teams because the thing about Group A is none of the teams can score but they, they can all defend. Yep, yep. Lewandowski scored you know, 400 goals this season or whatever it is for, for Dortmund, a huge amount. He's had a, a fantastic campaign and obviously there was the press links with United. I think uh, that's not one that's going to come off. But, but uh, yeah, you're right. Are they going to be able to create enough chances for him to score in a, in a what looks like it's going to be a very tight group I, I don't think so and I think they'll probably end up end up going out and it's a, it's a bit of a shame for the tournament it's always good when the host nation or nations do well isn't it it is they're also very inexperienced national side only one player in the squad has more than 50 international caps that's Auxerre defensive midfielder Dalius Studka another key player I'd say Rozik Chesney is really looking like a proper keeper you know he's 22 and he plays for Arsenal which is a yeah. recipe for calamitous disaster in keepers, but he's a good, he's a very good keeper, and I think a lot will rest on him. And uh, isn't Fabianski injured as well? So he's not in the uh, squad, Fabianski. Yeah, I don't yeah, think. yeah. I think I think he's injured, and and uh, so there's going to be a lot resting on on Chesney's performances. But but he's he's grown, and you'd expect him to be a key player for Poland. Absolutely, as with all the teams in Group A, Poland don't score a lot. Must be a bit annoyed that all their best strikers keep declaring themselves German. I think it's fair to say that I can't really think of a defining Euro moment uh, for the Polish side, but perhaps co-hosting the 2012 tournament will become that. 47-1 to to win the tournament, so twice as likely as Greece, according to the bookies, to win the tournament. I'm not sure that's right. Uh, They are 1-5 to on to feature in the post-tournament mullet watch. (laughs) Very good. The group of mullet. It is actually dull teams, but there there could be some exciting haircuts in that. In that, and you never know. You never know. Sometimes when you get those kind of really boring looking groups, that's the the game where you think, okay, I've watched three football matches a day for the last week and a half I'm just going to skip this one and then it ends up being a 4-3 thriller or whatever if, if group A is a group of boredom then group B is definitely the group of death there's got to be one cliche group of death hasn't there and this is it I mean it's Denmark, Germany Holland and Portugal and and you know, just looking on it paper, on paper, you'd say, "Oh, Denmark are going to get knocked out." They're they're ranked about fifth in the world in in uh, well, I think the ninth actually in the FIFA FIFA ranking. So this is a, a superb group, and, and Denmark finished above Portugal. Portugal had to qualify. So I mean, I take uh, each in turn. Denmark, everyone's favourite since the uh, 1986 World Cup. Who could forget some of the performances there? But they've got a much more functional team at the moment. Morten Olsen is the manager, has been for the last 12 years. They play in a particular style it's it's not the kind of uh, Scandinavian long ball style but they are quite functional they are tight at the back they don't concede a lot of goals and they didn't concede a lot of goals through qualification they look like they're in decent form they've they won several of their their friendlies coming into the tournament and they've got some excellent players and and uh, in terms of uh, the tactics they'll play with a sort of 4-2-3-1 as as many of the teams will do at this tournament and um, it's all based around Ajax's Christian Eriksen we obviously saw him this year a couple of times in the Europa League he's an, he's an excellent young player actually through those through those uh, games against United he played off the left but he'll probably play central of the three behind Nicholas Bentner uh oh and that, there you can see where the Danes problems might lie in in scoring goals funnily enough James Starr on Twitter when linking to an interview with Bentner said self-esteem's Nicholas Bentner which I thought was a very funny description <laughs> very nice and I mean some of that will give you an idea of, of what's key for Denmark in this tournament is keeping it tight and, and in in that there's two key players their central defenders Daniel Agger from Liverpool who's had a good season by Liverpool standards and Simon Kier who has been on loan at Roma and has been quite vocal about wanting to stay there he's actually a Wolfsburg player and I don't know if you remember back to 
the 2010 World Cup. He's a, the defender with some shocking blonde hair. And he was at Palermo at the time and made a very strange decision to go to Wolfsburg, a team on the slide. And, and there's a lot of talk about him coming to England or perhaps going to one of Europe's premier clubs. And he didn't do that, but he's still a very fine defender. And so it could be that he's looking for a, another team after the tournament. There is some United interest in Denmark. Anders Lindegaard will be probably be backup keeper. I don't think he's going to start. And no surprise there because he, he, of course, hasn't played really since the turn of the year. But he has sort of five caps or so. And Kasper Schmeichel in there. A bit of a tenuous link to United, but uh, the son of Peter Schmeichel. And done very well at uh, Leicester City in the last year or so. Odd fact about Denmark. Four of their players are Evian, which begs the question of why they don't play a more fluid style. Oh, my good lord. Um, not, don't have to look too far for their defining heroes moment, do we? We certainly don't. That, that incredible one where, well, myth has it, they were on the beach and got the call after the, the Yugoslav war started and Yugoslavia were kicked out of the tournament. And, and Denmark, actually, it's, it's a bit of a myth because they did actually have a couple of friendlies to play. So the squad were together, but entered the tournament and managed to win it uh, with big Peter Schmeichel uh, making his mark on the international stage. I remember it was because of that tournament that I was so incredibly excited about Schmeichel signing for United. It was an amazing moment, an amazing tournament, and and Schmeichel was awesome throughout it, and uh, it was just a a stunning performance by the whole team that had a real sense of togetherness. And that's actually not always been the case with Denmark. I mean, you know, famously the Laudrup brothers have fallen out with coaches uh, now and again, um, uh, you know, throughout the the time. And and I think actually Michael Laudrup will probably end up being the coach after the tournament. It looks like Morten Olsen going to retire although he has said this about five times previously that he's going to retire and each time he gets a new contract extension so we'll see whether that is the case he's it looks like he he's going to go and uh, if so it'll be the last tournament for this team but it's a team on the up they they did very well to qualify and and so um, even in a very difficult group they they are going to take points off some you have to say though if if what they need more than anything else is to keep it tight they could really do without being in a group with germany Holland and Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there, there are some other players in Portugal, but we'll go on to Portugal. Uh, what about Germany? I mean, here's a team who've won the European Championships three times before, 72, 80 and 96. They won all 10 of their qualification games for this tournament. That was very efficient of the Edwards. <laughs> Very efficient, wasn't it? Uh, but this is the thing. They've they've got rid of this German efficiency and they're now playing this attacking fluid style. And, and when Jürgen Klinsmann took over oh, nearly eight years ago now, he sat down with his then assistant, Jürgen Lowe, who's the, the manager, and, and they decided that they were going to uh, implement a fast-paced attacking style. And that's what they've done extremely successfully. And so they've integrated tons and tons of young players. They do have the youngest squad on average uh, in the tournament. But there's a strange contradiction here because also within their squad they've got seven of the top 20 most capped players in Germany's history and they're all likely to play uh, and or if not all start a key role so they've got loads of youth but also loads of experience and I think that makes for a really good blend Uh, uh, if Spain aren't going to win it these are they're probably my favorites Germany I think they've got a a really excellent team what they have been doing in in the recent friendlies is messing around with tactical systems so they played three at the back on occasion didn't work for them conceded five in Switzerland as a result the, the one real problem is how to integrate Mario Goetze though. he's this you know, outstanding young creative 
Borussia Dortmund player and uh, sort of the other creative player in the in the Dortmund side other than Kagawa who, who's, who's spent quite a lot of the second half of the season injured and, and Kagawa sort of took on the real mantle there but how they get in the side because Thomas Muller has obviously been outstanding not had the best season for Bayern Munich but has got a great record with, with uh, Germany so you'd think he'd start on the, the right hand side of a sort of front three or so and so how do they get Goetzer into the side do they do they play him in the two with Schweinsteiger and drop Kadira or, or do they drop Muller and that's a difficult one for them to choose but I think in, in Meza Ozil the ghost as, as Ferguson calls him they've possibly got the, one of the tournament's outstanding players he's had a brilliant season in Real Madrid and I think it's really set for him to, to dominate this tournament and in Mario Gomez they've got a player who's scored 40 goals this season just not quite at the crucial time in the Champions League final um, a rather unfortunate for him and then at the back they're, they're sort of marshalled by uh, Mert Saka and Philip Lahm who's their captain an excellent player uh, Boateng who, who's been so good with Bayern Munich this season even if he failed at, at Manchester City so you know, all being all an, an outstanding chance here I think uh, for Germany random fact here Miroslav Closer and Lucas Podolski I mean frankly they're rubbish aren't they 106 international goals between them Podolski will definitely start Closer might end up being on the bench uh, but it's just incredible how many I mean Closer's almost got more international goals than he's got club goals not not quite but not far off either he is the Michael he's the Michael Owen of Germany isn't he except uh, he did it at a much much higher level than we Mickey he, he did indeed defining Euro moment they've, they've got so many Germany which is which is a difficult one to pick out but but I suppose the most dramatic might be Oliver Bierhoff's 95th minute winner against the Czech Republic Euro 96 to, to win the tournament my, my defining memory of Germany at the Euros is Moller's celebration after he scored the winning penalty to knock England out of Euro 96 and just the sheer arrogance on his face as he kind of silenced the whole of Wembley and allowed uh, Germany to steal footballs coming home from England has it scarred you this is why you're bringing out the stereotypes not only are they functional and efficient but they're arrogant as well no no that was an incredibly it was a gloriously arrogant celebration incredibly appropriate to the way he handled the situation Germany are a brilliant side and this I'm really looking forward to watching them in this tournament and you get the feeling that this could really be their time I think I think it could be yeah yeah Four years ago, four years ago, um, and at the World Cup before the 2006 World Cup, no one expected anything from Germany, and they still managed. You know, the, that kind of the nascent kernel of the squad that exists now has been together for a long time, and they're adding these incredibly talented young players into the fold as they come through. And the, you know, you get the feeling that German football is on a high in general. The Bundesliga is a phenomenally kind of cool league, and 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 the side just represents something about the new Germany. You know, the, the ideal of the new Germany, kind of. In integrated and and dynamic and kind of cultural and cultured side right yeah and and they're, they're going to be a joy to watch and I, I'd love them to do well at this tournament I think I think they play football in, in the right way uh, different to how Spain play you know in, the, in their kind of you know Barcelona model but they, they yeah yeah um, a completely different style but that, that's one of the things that will make it very interesting if they if those two end up playing each other later in the tournament of course, an, another favourite for the tournament is Holland. Uh, 1988 winners, of course, with that stunning goal we've just talked about. And they've they've built on their World Cup last time. I mean, people remember the World Cup for the kind of thuggish display in the final, don't they? But, but they actually played some really good football throughout the tournament. It's just in the final, they gave up all that football and t- decided to try and kick Spain um, into submission. It didn't, didn't quite work, but they've got a real chance. They won nine out of ten in qualifications, though not as good as Germany, of 
course. Good form coming into it. You saw them beat England at Wembley not that long ago. In Bert van Marwijk, they've got a, a fine coach who, who has a real tactical brain on him. He gets the team to change tactics at the right time in, in the right games. And it's kind of surprising but van Marwijk because if you look into his career, he's really achieved very little. I mean, he had a, a spell with Feyenoord in the early part of the 2000s where they had some success. But, but aside from that, really nothing. And it was some surprise when he got the Dutch job because, of course, a lot a lot of big names from the sort of the 80s era that might have wanted that job too and didn't get it. And But he's moulded a real side. And and you look at their, their team sheet now and you'd say, nah, that back four looks a bit dodgy, but they don't concede many goals. They, they have a particular Dutch way of playing and, and they've done that for years. And uh, I think it will serve them very well. Now, they've got tons and tons of firepower. I mean, if you think in, in Schneider, they've st- he's still the cog around which this team's built and Schneider doesn't play Holland don't play as well and and uh, and that's a bit pithy but it, it definitely seems the case in Robin they've probably got the most selfish player in world football but on his on his day he's completely destructive I and mean, anyone who can score that goal against United for Bayern Munich a couple of years ago he can do anything and in Robin Van Persie a player who's just had the season of his life and they're not as reliant on Van Persie as as uh, Arsenal are at all because of their young class Hunterler who's just come off scoring over 40 goals uh, in the current season as well so loads and loads of firepower um, odd fact uh, Jetro Willems uh, I don't know whether you saw uh, Holland play the other night but he had a fine game for Holland he's 18 years old and only just 18 as well he's a left back he he might not start the tournament but he looks like a really exciting player yeah he's on everyone's players to watch out for list isn't he Jetro absolutely everyone's yeah it's a little bit because of the notoriety of being so young he looks like a really good player of course there were tons of press reports um, around Christmas time that United uh, might make a bid for him Uh, Jetro Williams is a pretty cool name I'll give him that but the thing is if you're Dutch you're probably never going to be the person with the coolest name in your country's national team history because once they had a player called Johnny Rep (laughs) you're never going to beat Johnny Rep outstanding player as well wasn't he Johnny Rep yeah outstanding they've got a real good chance i mean look anything could happen in this group players teams will drop points that we're not expecting and there could be a chance they'll go out you know and the group stage funnily enough alan shearer thinks that uh, germany portugal and holland are going to make semi-finals interesting one that alan. i don't know how you quite work that one out but do you know the order in which the teams play each other in that group yes i, I do of course netherlands open up against denmark and germany open up against portugal and then ne- netherlands and germany play each other in, in the sort of second round of matches of Denmark against Portugal. So that's obviously going to be a really key game, Holland against Germany. And then in the final round, can Portugal get anything against Holland? Could it come down to that for qualification? Will Denmark already be out when they play Germany? It could matter. Uh, I think uh, that match day two, uh, Holland against Germany, could be an absolute classic. And uh, there's been some brilliant matches between the two of them and also Frank Rijkaard's Spitgate. And um, they are to each other what England think of as Germany being to them, you know, the Dutch are the team that the Germans want to beat, uh, and obviously the Germans are the team that the Dutch want to beat too. Um, so yes, there's, there's definitely not going to be any love lost. Uh, but I think I think both the fact that they're Germany and the the low of the fixtures really does favour Germany in that group. The fact that Germany gets to play Denmark last, I don't know. I, I just I think Germany will end up topping the group. And well, what do you think of Portugal's chances? Well, uh, they um, they've had a pretty torrid time, Portugal. So obviously coming out of the World Cup, um, they they didn't do very well 
and uh, Carlos Quiroz was already under pressure and uh, there was a whole controversy with him being suspended uh, for allegedly uh, stopping a random drugs test uh, on the team and then uh, they had some poor results and it, he uh, got very vocal on the press and ended up getting sacked so um, it's it's been a difficult time for them Paolo Bento's come in don't know if you remember him from the 90s he was a sort of gritty defensive midfielder played with some of the, the top clubs in Portugal and, and they've they've turned it around enough that they were able to get into the playoffs and, and qualified and, and for a team with so many talented players it feels like it was a little bit of a letdown that qualification but it could have been worse it could have been worse and, and they clearly they've got some very good players I mean the question is uh, can they keep it tight enough at the back uh, Pepe's obviously going to be a key player for them there Real Madrid central defender and can they score enough goals from enough areas that are not Cristiano Ronaldo and and if if uh, the opposition target Ronaldo in some way do they have enough elsewhere and and that's the and that's the real crux of Portugal and it feels like the 18th tournament in a row that Portugal do not have a center forward because they, they don't really they don't have a good one and but they probably will play with Nani and Ronaldo and 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 who who else plays is the key question there and and Pepe is going to have to be very good at the back uh, no Ricardo Cavalio not in the squad it's uh, it's a difficult one I have to say I'm not sure I can see them doing that well Portugal I think it's been uh, it might be a stretch too far for them even though they have got Ronaldo and they've got some some you know outstanding players in that squad yeah I mean I, I think they're, they're obviously really unfortunate with their draw and that whole thing about Portuguese centre forwards is just weird it's like Eusebio has cursed them all or something because I can't think of a good Portuguese centre forward since Eusebio they've had such incredibly talented players in other positions also don't quite understand why they don't just play Ronaldo as a centre forward because it's not like he can't do it no he, he could but I mean they, they I think they want to crowbar in a, a you know a proper centre forward in there and, and uh, perhaps they're not as confident in their other wide players I mean, I'm guessing that Postigo will probably start but they've they've tried a few none of them have really you know, caught fire here but they, they're going to be difficult to get past in midfield I think I think they, they actually have a solid base in there I mean Veloso and Moutinho are sort of the holding players and Morelles will be this kind of box to box player and, and so that's, there's three there that are going to be disciplined and, uh, and and alongside Pepe Bruno Alves is an excellent player I, I have to say I don't really rate their keeper Rui Patricio I know he was linked with United in the past but I've never been that impressed so that might be a weakness so look they've got some big name players they, they've got a system that's working for them now it's based on being solid and exploiting Ronaldo and and Nani potentially if he has a good tournament he's certainly talking a good game at the moment Uh, but He's as he's as he's as good as Ronaldo and deserve to be paid as he such. He is, yeah, or or isn't. Let you decide that one, listeners. I'm not sure I believe him. If they were in a different group, you'd say they've got a they'd have a good chance of any other group really, you'd say they'd had a good chance. But I, I think this one might be a stretch too far for them. It's it's that first game, and it? I mean, you mentioned the Holland Germany game as being the pick of the round, but the Holland Portugal game is is going to be, I think, definitive. Because if they can get a result there, then that sets them up really nicely um, but you can almost imagine them getting a result there then losing to Denmark and Holland winning both their games and going through or something like that you know it's uh, I mean uh, it's difficult to see even even though you know it gets it's getting called the group of death and understandably so I still think there are two standout sides in that group I think that the, the Dutch and the Germans are a cut above yeah and I, I think you're right and the results over the last couple of years say that the, the, the players in the sides and, and who they play for say that as well Portugal have done really 
really well to get this far. The drama with the coach, the fact they had quite a few retirements after the World Cup. Simao retired, didn't he? And uh, he was a big player for them, and uh, Thiago as well. And and so they've done great to get this far. That's not patronising them. They've got some brilliant players, but I, I don't think they're going to be good enough to go any further than this. Okay, so um, I guess before we move on to Group C, should we uh, should we do a few Twitter questions? Yeah, let's do that. At written off underscore mufc says name someone who will excel at the Euros and earn themselves a big move. Alapaborski or as we call him the Merking well I've already mentioned one I think might do well that's Kyriakos Papadopoulos so I, I think uh, he's one to look out for there's a Goev from the Russian side uh, people have been talking about Kevin Streetman I'd say I, I haven't watched him loads Dutch journalists who who know him better say he's not quite ready for the big leagues but he's been talked of I think if he can get any t- game time Fabio Barini the Italian striker young Italian striker could really surprise a few people he's an excellent player and then some of the bigger names that that uh, will probably do well I, I'm really looking forward to seeing Marco Royce who plays for Borussia Mönchengladbach but he's going to Borussia Dortmund next season they paid a lot of money to take him back there and Hummels the Dortmund defender as well he's a he's a really excellent player and another one you might hear an awful lot about in the summer uh, is the Spanish left back Alba who apparently United are interested in I, I'm not sure United will be able to pay the, pee, the fee to get him especially if he has a really good tournament at Ricey San says which United player do you think will perform best at the Euros got a sneaky feeling for Patrice I think after the disaster was that was World Cup 2010 um, I think I've got a feeling about this French squad we'll come on to Group D in a little bit but I think Patrice could have a big tournament especially since he'll be able to play as an actual left back as opposed to a kind of you know all encompassing left side of the park player responsible he had a good game the other night when uh, France beat Estonia but he had an absolute stinker against Iceland before that where he was responsible in all three of the goals I think well yeah he'll he'll do that won't he Patrice but then then he'll have a he'll have a brilliant one it's, it's good for him that he's away from France though because he, he does get the crowd on his back in France I mean they boo him which is yeah. <laughs> pretty ridiculous but they do yeah no absolutely and then uh, you know I'd, I'd love it if say nada zop 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 just just like a bit of Danny to do well um, I think it's very difficult because he plays for England which is very unfortunate uh, thing to happen to a person but uh, I think he could have a good tournament should pick Ghana Danny yeah. <laughs> so uh, which nation will have the biggest meltdown slash drama asks Co- at Colin RHCP England <laughs> yeah it could be could could get some proper English meltdown obviously you've always got the Dutch I mean you know the whole history of the modern game teaches us that the Dutch have the potential to melt down at tournaments but they haven't done it for a while and you don't get the sense that they're these kind of driven factions where you've got Johan Cruyff telling the no. Ajax players to ignore all the other players. No, and, and in Van Barwick they seem to have a, a, a kind of unifying presence. They, yeah, you're right. They they haven't had that kind of drama. I mean, ditto with Italy. Sometimes you say that. I mean, Balotelli's in there. He's, he's got the definitely got the potential to cause some trouble. But uh, Prandelli has got them playing some really solid football after the disaster that was the 2010 World Cup. So again, I don't think there'll be a real meltdown there. I think it could be the tournament where the hosts. Uh, both do really poorly yeah and uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me one jot if the uh, the hosts are uh, both ukraine and poland lost all three of their games I, I also wouldn't be surprised if ukraine got out of group d actually 
Take points off England, I suppose. Well, yeah, and Sweden, potentially, you know. At Office underscore Monkey asks my favourite question of the day. What is your favourite national anthem that will presumably that will be on display at the Euros? The Russian anthem is brilliant. It's stirring. And talking of stirring, I can't look beyond La Marseillaise, I'm afraid. Uh, just because of that scene in Casablanca where everyone starts singing it. Goosebumps. And we've had a question from at Chris Terrio saying, what is this year's group of death? Obviously, he has to go, go with group B, as we've just said we will. But I just wanted to mention a question because his Irish friends insist that group C is the group of death. The, the group of Irish death, yes. A couple of the other questions we'll come on to later in, in the thing. Uh, how many will Zlatan Ibrahimovic score against England? I'm going with 14. He- He's turned down and moved to Paris Saint-Germain this week. Interesting there. Um, unlike Zlatan to shy away from a money-spinning move. But uh, yeah, he could well score a few. Um, I mean, England are going to be tight. Uh, Group D comes later. But um, I, it's it's funny. You think about top goal scorers and, and the Euros because it is a slightly shorter tournament. It often, and if you look through the, the history of uh, the Euros, there's quite a few occasions where a player just has to score a hat-trick or something and he'll become the top goal scorer. So uh, could Zlatan put three past England in order to become the top goal scorer? maybe it seems like a long shot uh, yeah slightly long shot but many, some of those goals will definitely be long shots talking of Zlatan favourite goal in the Euros history Ed I want this in a field where that Van Basten goal doesn't exist because that's obviously the, the answer but apart from the Van Basten goal what's your favourite well, apart from that Van Basten goal, it was the Van Basten goal against England, where he, he absolutely twisted the entire English back four. I mean, they were basically falling over on their asses and, and doing a bit of, you know, chair dancing on the ground as he twisted past them and then uh, flashed it past Peter Shelton. Another fantastic goal. What a striker Van Basten was and real, really cruel football was to cut that career short. Uh, and I suppose for the drama, although, you know, I'm English, I suppose, but uh, Ray Houghton's header against England in Stuttgart. Uh, talk about pulling off a surprise. Another stunning one from Euro 88. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, my favourite goal in Euros, apart from the Van Basten one, was Zlatan against Italy in 2004, where the man did a flying back heel volley. Yeah, I remember it well. <laughs> I, was, I was watching it. I was in a bar in a hotel uh, after I was working on a film and it was late. You know, it had been a long day. We were watching it. And the goal looked kind of scrappy because it was on a small telly in the distance. And then I saw what had happened on the replay. I've leapt up from my seat and made sure that everyone I was with saw it because what an incredible moment that was. Trezeguet, Euro 2000, final, extra time, flashed in with his left foot to win. Oh, that pretty, that, another pretty stunning goal. Pretty exciting. Okay, uh, this, this question leads us nicely into the Group C preview. At Trisha asking, I have a funny feeling that the Republic of Ireland and Spain will progress out of their groups and Italy and Croatia won't should I be on meds Ed give us the group C give us the group C breakdown well, we'll start with Croatia because it's an interesting one, Croatia. I mean, they, they had their golden generation, didn't they, in the in the mid to late 90s? And, and they're nowhere near as good as that now. I mean, um, when you think about that Croatia side, you think of Davos Šuka cheaping it over Peter Schmeichel in Euro 96. What a what an absolutely stunning goal that was and as they opened the tournament. And really put Croatia on the map, I think, in terms of football. But not as good at the moment. Slavon Bilic has, has had his ups and downs in six years of managing Croatia. Always being linked away, isn't he? But... Um, he hasn't done it yet, but he is after this tournament, so it's definitely his last tournament. He's going off to manage Locomotive Moscow. Uh, will they perform for him? Well, they've got some. They've got some really good players. I mean, Luka Modric is obviously the kind of pivot around which they build their midfield. Um, 
he's he's not going to win player of the tournament because he's not that kind of player he, he'll sit deep and he'll be that kind of quarterback player but he gets them moving and ticking real key for them is can they score the goals and in Jelovic they, from Everton they've got a player who can't stop scoring at the moment but not on the international scene and and that might be a problem and obviously Ivica Olic from Bayern Munich is injured and he's out of the tournament and so this could be Croatia's problem it's, it's a difficult group for them obviously Spain and Italy are going to be favourites and I think scoring goals goals will be an issue but they qualified and that was beyond what they could do uh, for the world cup obviously england beat them to world cup qualification thrashed them in fact didn't they uh, for that 5-1 win they've got good sides good players they're functional in terms of how they play and how they set up tactically uh, can they score enough goals to actually do any real damage in this group i don't think so no i, I don't think so either I, you know I, I love watching modric play but croatia are obviously not the side they were when they burst onto the scene they, they they were, they were so electrifying, weren't they? And they kind of raged out the blocks. Now, I wonder whether people... We, we joked about calling Group C the, the group of death, but I wonder whether part of that is just that residual memory of Croatia in the same way with the Czech Republic. They're, they're not the side they once were, are they? No, they're definitely not the side they once were, and I, I don't expect them to progress out of the group, to be honest. I mean, they qualified through the playoffs anyway, beat a, a Turkey side that is not the best Turkey side we've ever seen either. And, and so, I mean, they've, they've got some good players, though. They've got some names that people will know anyway you know Choluka plays Jelovic Modric Serna who's a midfielder long-standing midfielder I think in Pletikosa they probably have the worst keeper in the tournament though and that, that's uh, that's going some so uh, that could be a problem for them too no real United interest in this team no no I don't think we've ever had a Croatian player have we although Fergie's forever wanting Luka Modric although that one probably is never going to happen yeah no United interest there but but some considerable United interest elsewhere in the group there is yep yeah, or Spain uh, former United player Gerard Piquet will, will uh, marshal their back four obviously no Carlos Puyol so that's a real blow for Spain Piquet's not had a great season in Barcelona he's out of the scene by the end of the season uh, that could be a problem for them they're still playing exactly the same style they keep the ball they're going to keep the ball all day long and uh, so you could argue they don't need to play any, with any defenders be interesting who they play at the back alongside Piquet because uh, they could play Javi Martinez who's played there all season long for Athletic they could play Ramos uh, and rather than playing him at right back as they did in the, the last tournament and play Arbelo on the right as I said I think they'll play Alba on the left uh, and, and they'll play a very similar style both tactically speaking and technically to Barcelona can they score enough goals though to win the tournament so teams will park the bus against Spain because that's how you beat them right Switzerland did it in the last World Cup that's what Chelsea did to Barcelona so they will face this in, in Torres at least he had a good end to the season but he's not had a great 18 months no David Villa he's out but in Xavi Silva and Iniesta they, they are going to create chances uh, can they break teams down when teams don't want to play them and, and that'll be the key to whether Spain win or not I, d- I don't see them having any trouble getting out of this group though and Llorente presumably will play a lot, you would think. Yeah, I don't think he'll start. I think they've been talking about starting with Torres. So I think that'll probably how they set up. Um, I mean, they'll have the two holders in Alonso and Busquets. I don't think that'll change at all. And assuming Xavi's fit, I mean, obviously he has these injury problems. And Iniesta and probably Silva rather than Pedro. I mean, if they want to go a bit more attacking, they might go for Pedro a bit, bit more direct, isn't he? So um, they've still got lots and lots of options. Lots of, lots of quality and depth. Didn't really go for anything radical in terms 
terms of their, their squad selection, I didn't think. Uh, there, there's a few players who could have been in there. They didn't, they didn't go for Munayin from Atletico, for example. And obviously, no, David De Gea, he's off to the Olympics. Casillas has hogged that number one jersey for the last decade anyway, and he probably will do for another five or six years. So they're still an outstanding side. Uh, but could, this might well be the last tournament they are an outstanding side. And obviously, Xavi's getting on a bit, and so is Alonso. And so there's a few, you know, few question marks here, and David Villa will be 32 by the time the next tournament comes around. So this might be the last hurrah for this team. It might be the last hurrah for this team, but I don't think it's going to be the last hurrah for Spain because they've got secession planning pretty well sorted, haven't they? They have. I mean, their, their Olympic side will be very good. I mean, if you look at the... I mentioned Munayin and obviously De Gea and uh, Thiago Alicantra from Barcelona is also in that, that side. And Pacheco, who's not really quite made it at Liverpool. I mean, he was the real big thing, wasn't he, next? And, but they've got some really excellent younger players. Barcelona keep churning them out, don't they? So you're, you're right about the secession planning. But are they going to be of the same quality? That's, that's the question. Because they, they've been absolutely outstanding. I mean, you know, one of the best club size in Barcelona and national size ever. Yeah, I mean, you know, 2008, they won the last European Championships. Obviously, their defining moment in the history of the Euros. It changed everything for Spain, that did. Um, gave them that sense of belief, which they then took on to the 2010 World Cup and won that. For them to win three international tournaments on the bounce would be, I mean, it would be a feat like no other, really, in in, in modern football like. Of course, they, they did win the European Championships in 1964, but that was that weird style of European Championships where they they really only played two games in order to win the tournament. Yeah, even England could do that. Yeah, well, or didn't. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Spain are still the most likely team to win this tournament, you know. Yes, I think I think they are, because I think for as much as we, we laud Holland and, and laud Germany for, for their extreme talent, Spain are still going to monopolise the ball against those, those teams. So can the opposition get the ball enough to... To not be beaten. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be really fascinating to watch. It will, and and in Italy, they they've got a tough opponent in this group, I think, and and I think that's probably good for Spain actually, because they I, I didn't think they started the last World Cup particularly uh, speedily, did they? So Italy have got a much much better team than they had at the 2010 World Cup. Completely fell apart in South Africa, didn't they? And and they ran away with the qualification group. To be fair, they didn't have any real quality to beat: Estonia, Serbia, Slovenia, Northern Ireland, and Faroes. Not the toughest qualification group you could ever have. The only conceded twice it's a kind of irony this one because uh, everyone says oh Italian teams tough at the back they know how to defend Serie A has never been more attacking I mean the amount of teams you get playing three at the back and and you know three at the front and really going for it they've got a great goals to games ratio in Serie A at the moment here we are having a, an Italian side that's tight and and they really have become a lot tighter under Prandelli and and that's what's going to make them difficult to beat but but do they have the real star names and that that's the big question especially especially up top I mean it looks like Di Natale, the Udinese forward, who's not always been appreciated at, at uh, international level, I think, will be their main man. I mean, but he's 34 now, so how much is he going to provide towards the back end of the tournament? Um, incredible how many goals he scored at club level for Udinese, though. In Andrea Pirlo, uh, everything will go through him in midfield. He's still he's still the key to that that midfield for Italy. Again, ageing, but at the back, really tight. Um, Barzagli from Juventus had an outstanding season, championship winning season obviously with Juventus and that's a real key no United interest in this 
this uh, squad again Giuseppe Rossi Crocs so not in the squad although you know he he was there leading forward wasn't he for, for some time Rossi but but won't be at the tournament no, which is a real shame Italian defining moments it, it's difficult to pick I mean obviously they, they won in 68 but they only played three games and they scored three goals and and they only won actually once and beat Yugoslavia in the final so is that their defining moment hard to say that I think that's more of a random fact isn't yeah. it one of those odd ones um, like maybe it's a bit more of a negative thing maybe it's that 2000 final and took a while to get over that one didn't they and that stunning goal in, in the dying moments of injury time from David Trezeguet when they did manage to get over it they got over it in pretty spectacular fashion though didn't they they did rather didn't they <laughs> yeah not in the Euros though uh, a team that's had a defining moment in international football against the Italians is their Group C rivals the Republic of Ireland the boys in green have thousands of fans there no doubt um, I, I, normally England's the, the team that takes the most fans but uh, reports have it that not too many England fans are going because uh, it's so expensive to get and yada 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 all, all of that kind of stuff done really well to qualify Ireland um, Trapattoni has got them playing you could say a negative style of football they're definitely hard to beat they don't score a lot of goals this is not open flowing attacking football from Ireland but then again if you look at their squad you wouldn't expect it right I mean they have not got loads of world stars in their squad they've got quite a few players who are playing in, in Scotland or in, in you know, the championship or at lower ranked clubs in the Premier League and they qualified really well I mean Ken second to Russia in that group but you'd kind of expect that and smashed Estonia in the playoff and done really well to get there first tournament in 10 years of course they were robbed of going to the World Cup and and so it's well deserved and I can I think the key players are going to be the defensive players really so you know if they can be tight enough in this group if they can get a point out of Spain or Italy not you know you can't wouldn't say that's outside the bounds of possibility then they they might well get through this group so Shea Given and Richard Dunn are going to be two of their key players there right through the spine and obviously Robbie Keane's got over 50 goals at international level you can't discount that at, at any point so is it going to be are they going to be good enough to get out of this group I doubt it but you never know you never know and that Italy game could be a real crucial one so you know can they can they get a win somewhere in that tournament in in this group can they beat Croatia can they get a point out of Italy it might be enough to take them through I can't believe you talked about key Republic of Ireland players and did not drop the G-bomb that's how they're going to get a win that's how they're going to get a point screamers from 40 yards from Gibson. Yeah, it's not much of a tactical strategy, though, is it? Shoot! But in the thing with Gibson, though, he's never really held a place down in, in the Irish team. and there's, <laughs> That's because he's not very good. Because he's not very good. It's also because Trapattoni told him he had to go and play for Stoke. <laughs> he refused to do that. Will we see him start? Probably. Probably. And But does it mean Ireland are going to be good enough? Is is he ever going to get enough chances to shoot? Or is he just going to be shooting from 40 yards and be really wayward about it? Who knows? I mean, um, I'm not I'm not even certain that Gibson will start. They, they, they have a particular way of playing. And they'll play off Doyle the front man and Keane will drop deep they'll obviously got mighty John O'Shea probably play at one of the fullback positions but I, I can't really see them doing loads in this honour one really random thing about Ireland they've got three players that officially don't have a club at the moment Darren O'Day or, or to give him his full name Darren O'Dea if you've ever seen him defending he, he, the Celtic former Celtic player now uh, hasn't got a club Keith Andrews from West Brom no club Paul Green from Derby no club interesting I presumably if they have good European tournaments they'll be snapped up by 
you know, top teams across all the scouts will be there, won't they? Yeah, yeah. Unlikely, I have to say. Um, but they they have got some good players, though. So James McLean, who had an outstanding season with Sunderland, he will probably come off the bench, but he could be a, a real dark horse. Um, co- lots of controversy about his inclusion, of course, because he was born in Northern Ireland, played for Northern Ireland under 21s and switched allegiance. And Aidan McGeady plays in Russia, and he will probably start on the left for Ireland. And again could cause lots of damage and a defining moment for me for the Republic of Ireland will always be that 1-0 against England in 1988 Ray Houghton's header yep yep it's a stunning result for Ireland managed to repeat the trick a couple of years later didn't he when he scored in the World Cup against Italy but yeah definitely their defining Euro moment came of age Jack Charlton's up and at and you know long ball route one side absolutely so on to Group D then uh, featuring the team that they beat in that game but also featuring the tournament's other co-hosts the Ukraine Nailed on co-favourites in Mullet Watch, unquestionably. The Ukraine are considerably more experienced un- international squad than their co-hosts. At age 49, sorry, I mean 35, Chelsea Hall of Famer Andrei Shevchenko captains the side, still captains the side, which is coached by former Ukrainian MP and Ballon d'Or winner Ole Blokin. So he, he's been not only elected, but, but elected and re-elected to the Ukrainian parliament until he stepped down to concentrate on football. This is his second go-round as coach of the national side. Orbar two of the squad ply their club trade in their home country by Munich midfielder Anatoly Timoshik and Liverpool Hall of Famer and current Dynamo Moscow player Andrei Voronin are the exceptions. Him of the ponytail. Uh, Andrei Voronin has seven goals in 70 starts for the Ukraine, well 70 games for the Ukraine. He's hit that coveted one in ten that all international strikers aim for. Well I mean if Ukraine make the final he might get 0.4 of a goal. Uh, there's no doubt that there's a good deal of attacking talent in the Ukraine side uh, and the fact that he's up against he might be up against John Terry means that even Andrei Shevchenko will probably still be quick enough to damage Hodgson's brave boys at 59 to 1 home advantage is clearly not playing into too many people's minds but with Sweden and England looking eminently beatable I wouldn't be shocked if Ukraine squeaked out of Group D I mean uh, they are the weakest side in Group D I think even with England in there but but they they've got some players that you know uh, Timoshuk as you mentioned an excellent player and like legitimately the, the problem with Shevchenko is he can't run anymore but he won't need to if he's up against John Terry that's true no pace in the English back four is there so uh, yeah I can't see it I, I can't see them doing anything really it'll be a real surprise but of course you know England might be completely rubbish they might get a point out of England they may well beat Sweden and, and then probably only need a draw with France to go through so it, it could and they're at home and yeah yeah they're at home as well and you know it's going to be properly hostile you know it's not going to be like South Africa well we've seen quite exactly how hostile it can be there right so yeah I mean yeah that's it hostile and not in a good way you know but but for the Ukrainian players it's going to be f- totally familiar they're, they're all playing in the Ukraine pretty much there's that you know those those club connections and perhaps they've got some team spirit I actually you know that's supposition but but you never I just I just I think it's it's a mistake to write them off given given that you know in England are obviously fallible and and Sweden well, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure really in lieu of a proper roundup of Sweden um, okay they qualified second behind the Netherlands with plus 20 dip goal difference in 10 games being Finland 5-0 San Marino 5-0 and 6-0 on the way coached by former Rosenberg man Eric Cameron 
and are a well-organised, hard-to-beat side with genuine flair in some attacking positions, uh, for example Elmanda and former Mullet Watch legend Christian Wilhelmsen. Um, but regardless of all that, Sweden for me are summed up in one word, Zlatan. Oh, I thought it was going to be smorgasbord. <laughs> he didn't win the league this season for what would seem to be the first time in his career, so the boy Zlatan's going to have a point to prove. He's on the slide, he wasn't top goal scorer, he didn't win the league, and that's it, career down the toilet. No, this is it, this is this is it, he's got a point to prove now, he's going to be hungry. His flying back heel volley against Italy in Euro 2004 is my abiding memory of that tournament, and a good part of the reason why he has an honorary black belt in taekwondo. With all due respect to their fine country, I think that goal probably counts as their defining moment at the Euros tournaments. Uh, they're 69 to win the thing, uh, 69 to 1 to win the thing, but that seems long because mm, Zlatan. Sal- oh, I also remember another stunning Swedish goal, Thomas Brolin against England in 92. Brolin, Brolin, darling, Brolin. Yeah, sadly the Swedes have let themselves down on the mullet front lately and we're left with glorious memories and Zlatan's samurai hair. We've put it off too long, Ed. We're going to have to talk about them. It's time for Ingerland. Oh, God. It's awful, isn't it? It's awful. Is there ever a tournament England don't go into without some red-top-fuelled disgrace uh, of some kind? And this time it's not drinking. It's it's the controversy around Rio Ferdinand's exclusion and double exclusion and, and exactly why he isn't in the squad. What reasons, yeah? Uh, no, listen, the thing is, I, I'm not naturally an England hater. I, I've I've often been an England fan in my life. Uh, uh, Euro 96, I remember incredibly fondly. Uh, that 4-1 against the Netherlands was just a just a glorious moment, a brilliant day. And I don't know, there seemed to be I don't know, just slightly less obnoxious spirit around England at that time. The Italian 90 was a wonderful tournament, and that England side was so exciting. Gascoigne and Lineker, and, you know, just... You know, Lineker was the talisman and he was a thoroughly decent bloke and you know it was it was kind of they were kind of alright but the the John Terry Frank Lampard Stephen Gerrard era of England has been pretty depressing and I, I don't think I've really enjoyed them since the 2002 World Cup right yeah I, I think it's it's been pretty awful all through I mean yeah you're right Euro 2004 really stomp and, and getting knocked out on penalties didn't qualify for 2008 2006 World Cup was a disaster yeah so England have not had a good tournament for quite some time now I just can't see them doing it now there's not enough up front to cause them real damage midfield is a disaster zone I mean if you're talking about a midfield that is going to contain Parker and Gerrard Gerrard who's habitually ill-disciplined and I don't mean in a fouling way although he does that too but uh, in midfield he won't keep the position Hodgson's all about shape everything he is is shape 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 and I can't see England being disciplined enough to keep that and just because I've done the research and it seemed unfair to just uh, ignore England and not give them the same treatment I gave everyone else they're managed by Roy Hodgson, don't know if you're aware of that, um, but they lack Michael Carrick and Rio Ferdinand, unfortunately. England's three best players are obviously Danny Welbeck, Wayne Rooney, and a smushed-together amalgam of Chris Smalling, Phil Jones, and Ashley Young. At 14.5-1 to 1 to win the tournament, it seems ludicrous given how incredibly pedestrian their midfield is. Full of Liverpool players, despite the fact that Liverpool are terrible, and missing their best player for two group games, it could be a rough old tournament for England, and failure to qualify from Group D doesn't look particularly implausible. Also, Carroll's hair is not enough to make up for the fact that they haven't had fielded a mullet since Waddle got rid of his in 1990, which directly caused him to miss that penalty. Directly. Their defining moment in the European Championships undoubtedly
Italy, that 4-1 magnificent victory over the Netherlands that I just mentioned in the group stages of the wonderful Euro 96. Be sort of pleased if they manage something like that, although the inclusion of John Terry and the subsequent implications of all that for Rio makes this an England side that's a bit hard to like. Although, zups up, my boy Welb, say nada, obviously. It is hard to like them. I, re- I kind of wanted to, you know. I've been on a downer about England for many, many years now, and I thought Hodgson was the right choice, you know, because he is a coach, and, and that's what you need at international level. And and the best England managers have been proper coaches. And so, from that perspective, I thought it was the right choice. I thought bringing Gary Neville in was an excellent choice too. There was always going to be a core of United players in there, so there were plenty of reasons to like them and want them to do well. And then the, everything that's happened over the last sort of two or three weeks has kind of really put me off supporting England in any kind of way at all. I mean, I don't feel like I can support a team that has John Terry in because I think he's an absolute, you know, travesty of a human being as well as a footballer. And, and I think he'll be a weak link. And that's what makes the whole thing with Ferdinand so depressing for me, really. And the fact is, he's had Ferdinand's had a very good season. Uh, he's been injury-free since the autumn. He can play plenty of games in succession, as he showed over Easter. And he's a defender who manages to keep the ball and, and is in the positions at the right time. And then you have John Terry, who's consistently found out on the international stage any kind of technical player or a player that has decent movement will find him out for sure because it always happens and England will end up shipping goals as a result and they just had not enough going forward to score enough goals to do damage to any decent side at all well I mean the one counter to, to that is they got Welbeck and Young up front can they get enough of the ball to them that's that's the question and will he actually play Welbeck or is he going to start with Andy Carroll well you know exactly how England will play if Carroll plays they will launch it right as, as, as much as the temptation might be to try and play through midfield initially and that might be what Hodgson wants them to do they're English players and they will launch it and it, they will go very very direct very quickly uh, as soon as the, the game's not going their way if Andy Carroll plays so the only chance England have got of playing any kind of possession based football is if Welbeck plays and, and that's a big call from that's a really big call from Hodgson who who's uh, overcompensating big style at the moment I mean how many Liverpool players are in the squad an awful lot and the latest one a complete joke I mean Martin Kelly might actually become a very good player but he's not new to the scene you know he's been around a long time now and, and just hasn't really progressed in the way that many people expected you know he's 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 got about 30 games over five years it's this is not a rob jones moment where uh, you know the liverpool right back in the 90s where you saw him thought bloody hell there's a quality player uh, i i just don't see it in the same way with kelly and and so and people make comparisons with ferdinand in world cup 98 he, he played 40 games for west ham that that season ferdinand it's not like he was just some up-and-coming youngster it's his third season in professional football and he played the full campaign so it's a bizarre choice and uh, England could be in real trouble if is if Terry I mean as much as I criticise Terry if Terry's hamstring goes which he might well do because it's sore England got a real problem yeah absolutely I mean I, I think there's problems all over that squad and, and the fact they've got no pace in central midfield at all means that they're not going to get anywhere particularly deep into the tournament and you know hopefully it'll all be over I mean, not not hopefully because fine if they do well that's fine but if it is all over early that's good because Rooney can come home and have a rest he can yeah yeah hopefully he just plays the one game and then you have a nice long rest before um, ka-ching the United Summer Tour happens um, At Berger asks 
what performance will England need for Roy Hodgson not to get fired? I think that's a really interesting question. Not being humiliated. I, th- I think the Football Association have invested in a four-year contract. They're not going to fire him, even if you know. I think even if England lost all three games, which they, they probably won't, I think they'll, they'll, they'll get points out of Sweden and Ukraine. But even if that happened, I, I don't see Hodgson getting fired unless it really blows up. The thing is, if, if John Terry is found guilty in July, and I know I keep harping back to this, but it's, it's going to overshadow the entire tournament. If he is found guilty, the FA and Roy Hodgson have gone out and bet all their chips on a guy who would have been a criminally guilty racist. Now, it's a big if, of course, because there's a criminal trial and we don't know that he is guilty or not yet. So that could be a, that could be an issue. So, you know, if the, if the politics of this all swing around and Hodgson is seen as, as being in the wrong camp there politically, that could be a problem for him. But I don't think any performance on the pitch will get him sacked. At Jack Hawkins 23 asks which two teams do we think will make it out of England's group? I mean France who we're just about to come on to I think uh, definitely and for me I think Sweden probably are the second team. I think England are really going to struggle. I think I might predict on Twitter a while ago I think England will lose France and draw with Sweden and Ukraine and, and that will be them out. Okay so you think and you think Sweden will go through with France? I, I agree. France have got an excellent side and I think they're the favourites in that group for good, for good reason. Ah oh, France... Uh, two wins in the history of the European Championships means that picking a defining moment is a little tricky, but for me, Michel Platini's complete dominance, two hat-tricks in the 1984 tournament, just nudges that into the lead over the Trezeguet moment in 2000. But they did have a wonderful team in 84, That's didn't just, they? I mean, fans of football, because they, they were so French about the whole thing, you know? Michel Platini in his untouched shorts and that general sense that these people really were seriously considered what they were going to have for lunch the next day and having conversations about poetry and stuff you know they were like incredibly French as well as being brilliant and um, so managed by Manchester United Hall of Famer Lauren Blanc and featuring United captain and unofficial club historian Patrice Evra there's plenty for United fans to enjoy about Libler potentially devastating going forward with the still only 24 years old Karim Benzema leading the line Nasri Kabaye Ribéry and others lined up to provide chances their status as 10 to 1 fourth favourites is well earned Potentially suspect defensively, France made heavy work of qualification, but having finally worked through the hangover of their absolutely disastrous World Cup in 2010, and with genuinely forward-thinking, tactically astute football man at the helm in place of the ridiculous living spitting image puppet Ramon Domenech, the French must believe themselves to be in with a shot of winning this. They lack the balance in the squad of Spain or Germany, but they probably do rival them for just sheer attacking talent. I suspect they're going to blow Group D away, and are certainly opponents that no team will look forward to facing. Mullet-wise, their dark horses don't rule them out completely. I think they do have a chance of fielding a surprise French mullet with some sort of ironic style. Yeah, you reckon Patrice Evra is going to grow one in time? Oh, that would be awesome. No, well, Mick says he's, he's got a nice ponytail going on, so you, you never know. Yeah, I, I think France's problem, I mean, you mentioned at the back, it is a bit of a problem at the back. Mick says was horrible uh, against Iceland, and he wasn't much better the other night either. And, and Rami will probably play alongside him, and, and uh, I have to say, I've not been convinced and obviously ever is a mistake waiting to happen sometimes and in midfield they've got to get the right mix because Kabay will probably start now but Mvia is injured isn't he so he's still in the squad though isn't he still isn't in he? the squad and Diara will probably come in as a result but there were question marks about his fitness will they play Maludo he's not had a good season but he's been playing he played in central midfield the other night uh, so that looks like that might happen but up front Benzema Ribéry Nasri Giroud does he come into it had a, such a great season Montpellier yeah uh, Martin as well 
player with enormous bundle of talent and they've you know they've got some surprises in the mix as well I think I just think Benzema you know he, he I can't I couldn't believe he was only 24 it feels like he's been around forever you know but but I guess he's still a very young player and I, I feel like maybe maybe he's going to have a big tournament this time he, he's never really had a big tournament for France has he? He had, a, he had a big season for Real Madrid so yeah I mean it could well be that Benzema he's I mean I think I picked out Meza Ozil as a player I think will be player of the tournament by noted down my second favourite was Karim Bezema and I, I think he could well be top scorer and I mean it depends I mean they might bring Giroud into the side but it looks like Benzema will start the tournament I think he's he's due a big one yeah I, I had a little I, I'm having a little moral quandary about whether to actually support France because of the whole thing with Laurent Blanc and the racial quotas and all that kind of stuff yeah there was a very unseemly unseemly episode wasn't it, it, that one? it was a very unseemly episode and i was thinking well you know the, all through the kind of ever Suarez thing i always said like if i if i had been a liverpool fan i would still have taken the view that what they did was completely unacceptable and supported the other side and and but you know the way lauren blanc is with his black players is it there's none of that sense of I know it's just it's just a very odd, very French sort of situation. The French uh, have a, a different discussion about immigration and integration than happens in English public discourse. But the fact that it was behind closed doors, the fact that he initially denied saying it and was then confronted by a transcript, yep. you know, it, it, it is messy. And I don't think you can write him off as a kind of horrible closet racist or anything. But still, it was it was not not a pleasant uh, pleasant situation. And but you know the 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 fact that the f- the fact that you know in the 2010 world cup uh, a lot of the the right wing the socially right wing aspects of the of french society pointed the blame at the f- at the kind of black players because because in 1998 the triumph of that mixed side was was seen as such a triumph for the left in france you know so the kind of disaster in 2010 was a stick to beat them with there's no team that's more influenced by politics in france i mean it's 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 incredible i mean they had political inquiries after the world cup in south africa yeah absolutely and then but then in the end Laurent Blanc is stuck behind his you know he's stuck with patrice evra and and he could easily easily have got rid of him to score points you know because they do have options at left back but he didn't well they do I mean they have Gail Clichy and then that is a question that needs to be answered I mean I don't think Clichy for talent is, is a you know, patch on Evra but but in terms of form he, he had a decent season at City didn't he and, and Evra didn't have his best season for United didn't have his worst season either uh, and there's been an awful lot on his mind you know the whole thing with Suarez his brother's death post World Cup fallout and all that and it's really affected him over two years and but he's still in the side he had the full he had the full 90 against Estonia and I think he'll probably start the tournament any team with Patrice Everett in it is all right by me you know that's right that's right so I mean I think I think they'll qualify I think it's you look at the back four and you think Mm, could concede goals and that that might be what stops them going really far in the tournament but then it also might force them to play super attacking football and play to their strengths and make them really exciting to watch you know that's a possibility also so we don't we, it's, it's so exciting isn't it so Ed who's going to win the tournament well I, I picked Spain in my season preview back in August so I suppose I want to stick with them I, I think they're still just about good enough it's not theirs to lose but the ball is theirs to lose literally they're going to have 65-70% possession uh, other teams Teams are going to have to break them down, which can happen. I mean, you know, Spanish back four, obviously, you know, not not the best in the tournament. But will teams get enough ball to get it off them? I'm not sure they will. And I think Spain will win in the end. I, I, I'm going to pick Germany just to pick somebody different. I, I, I'd quite like to pick France, but I, I just think ultimately that, that Germany and Spain are the, are 
are the most solid teams. And okay, so you've got to pick a dark horse that's uh, someone further out in the in the rankings than England in terms of uh, the betting. Well, um, Russia, I think, yep. could, could do okay. Um, depends on their next round of course but i think they'll get through that group and so i think i think they're a good side of the teams that are outside of you know france holland germany spain i don't think portugal are a dark horse because i don't think they'll do that well. no i i i am gonna go for ridiculous and i don't i don't mean to win the tournament but i think sweden could have a better tournament than people are expecting them to have that's uh, that's my feeling but it might just be some residuals latin bias top scorer karim benzema that's my random guess no that was my pick as well i have him written down here in front of me and and uh, there you go i've got to stick with that one i, I think he could well be the top scorer I, I mean i suppose you could shout out to lewandowski from poland but i don't think they're going to do very well so he'd have to have a storming game somewhere yeah uh, and potentially van persie but again as i said he's not he's not really the the uh, the key around which that dutch side is built the hunter could could get a few for for holland can i don't know whether he'll actually start but yeah he, you never know he might force his way into the side yeah i don't know from germany i think i think the the strikers are not the strongest position is it I mean Mario Gomez had one of the worst tournaments a person has ever had at the last European Championships didn't he and an absolute stinker in the Champions League final but he has got over 40 goals this season so you can't discount him no that's true and that unlike Huntelaar that's not goals in the Dutch league so they do actually count so Mesut Ozil for you for player of the tournament I guess I've got to pick someone else so I'm going to pick uh, United Connection <laughs> not at all uh, Wesley Schneider I think he might have another good tournament yes almost a United Connection just the £250,000 a week between him and a United Connection I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a really good tournament. Why? Why the hell not? I mean, it's 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 a bizarre tournament because it's spread out over such a long geographical distance. I wonder whether that will affect the atmosphere. I hope the stadiums are full. There's certainly some very nice stadiums. If you if you're a geek like that, off you go to stadiumporn.com and and check out all the stadiums. There's some bizarre looking ones, and and I, I don't know whether it'll have quite the same atmosphere as say the World Cup in South Africa. Um, but I'm really looking forward to it. It definitely won't have the same atmosphere as the World Cup in South Africa because. Because there won't be any people of other ethnicities than white uh, at this tournament in the crowds. And it is a real problem. I mean, you know, that Panorama documentary was terrifying. And yes, there's problems with uh, racial issues in other parts of world football, not least of which our own fine, green and pleasant land. But, you know, I really hope that the worst fears of people don't come to pass because that then that could really overshadow what will otherwise be a really exciting tournament yes it could uh, interesting little tidbit in the news today many of the team's shirts have poison in them apparently and a consumer group has warned that what's inside these shirts could be poisonous and dangerous uh, i don't think they were talking about john terry there i think they're talking about the polyester but but you never know i want to give a massive shout out to our friend Oate who was sadly horrendously injured in a football match and so is going to be off his feet for quite some time to come so can't do too much to help but at least we give you a rank cast to pass an hour or an hour and a half uh, in the case of this particular episode yes get better soon and i hope everyone enjoys euro 2012 ukraine and poland it's definitely a different destination for this tournament but um, i'm looking forward to it there's there is as we said a bit of a united connection there so if you don't have any team particular country affiliation for this tournament you can have a united affiliation and cheer on our boys and our ex-boys and we'll be with you throughout this tournament 
we'll do another show this time next week and another one the week after that to preview the final and and I, I think it's going to be a really good tournament I'm looking forward to it I think there's some really good teams out yeah, there yeah absolutely and so Ed I mean presuming that you're not supporting England who, who have you picked as your team for the tournament well I let I let my Twitter followers pick for me so I put it out on Twitter a couple of weeks ago after I decided that I couldn't support a team that uh, although might be the nation of my birth contains John Terry I don't want him representing me in any fashion so I asked them and they said I should support Ireland so that's what I'm going to be doing I'll be downing many many pints of Guinness I am of mixed parentage so um, my mum is French uh, my dad's parents are both German uh, so I get to, to pick between them but but I never really had too much affinity with Germany and spent a lot of time in France uh, have lots of family and friends there so I, I guess I'm going to support Le Bleu and also managed by an ex-United player so there you go there you go well we'll see you this time next week enjoy all the football Start wearing purple, wearing purple Start wearing purple for me now All your sanity and wits, they will all vanish I promise, it's just a matter of time So yeah Start wearing purple, wearing purple Since you were a 20 I was 20 And thought that some years from now A purple little little lady Will be perfect For dirty old and useless clown So yeah From Diogenes to the Foucault From Lozhetskin to Passepartout And I клянусь обоссав два пальца Что ты, а? Что музыка пошла от звука вну? Start wearing purple Why don't you start wearing purple?